Hello, welcome to another episode of the Silk and Steel podcast. I am your host Carl Za. Today we have a very special guest for you guys. We have Toby Gu, who have been to Hong Kong and filmed the protest, and he was involved in, with the latest controversy in the Hong Kong protest, where he filmed the protester violence. Unfortunately, my segment of the audio has been distorted, so I apologize in advance for sounding like chipmunks in witness protection program. On with the show. Invited Toby Gu, a world traveler who has recently been in Hong Kong and filming the Hong Kong protest. Toby, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, Toby, you have a fascinating background. Um, can you just uh, before we start talking about Hong Kong, can you talk a little bit about um, what you do, your background, and your travels? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I'm what, what most people would call a digital nomad. Um, so I work online. Uh, I'm actually a software engineer, and being able to make money online means I can go anywhere in the world and I can work from anywhere in the world. So for the past two years, I've just been traveling nonstop. So um, last year I was based for 11 months in Bangkok, Thailand, and from there I was flying around to different countries, basically all of Southeast Asia. I spent last year in, um, and after that, in at the end of last year. I spent uh, the winter in Japan in the Japanese Alps, where I also bought a car, and then I road trip Japan for five months, living out of the car. Um, after that, basically summer of this year, summer of 2019, I spent most of my time in Europe, uh, based out of Czech Republic, where I also had a rental car, lived in the rental car for about two months, and then spent most of my time in actually northern Italy and the Swiss Alps. So uh, now I'm back in Asia. Yeah. You're like living the dream I always wanted, man. <laughs> Wait, do you just find the odd uh, jobs online to do, like contract jobs or something? Uh, no. So, no, no. So right now I'm actually full time. Well, technically I'm a contractor, uh, but I have a full time contract right now with with one company based in Silicon Valley. Oh, nice, nice. So, but you are you're Chinese Canadian, yes? Uh, yeah. So my parents are Chinese, but I was born in Canada and grew up in Canada. I see. Um, and you told me beforehand uh, that you had a story in Bali. That's interesting. <laughs> Can you share it? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, last year in I think October, I, I actually remember the exact date. It was end of September. Um, I decided. So I was in Bali for probably already two weeks by then, and I decided to go over to Mount Ijen, which is in East Java. And going up Mount Ijen, uh, me and two friends, we took motorcycles or those scooter things up. And then coming down, uh, my friend decided he wanted to race down this bumpy volcanic road, which probably is not a good idea. Long story short, I basically fell off the bike, and uh, I severely injured my foot. I had a hole in my left foot, and uh, I was rushed to the closest hospital, where they cleaned out the wound, gave me stitches, and told me I was good to go. Now, because I didn't have any any insurance at all, I was a little bit scared about that medical bill. But it ended up being like the equivalent of ten U.S. dollars, so I was like, "Oh, okay, that's not too bad." Um, 
but they didn't tell me anything about follow-up. So I was basically lying there. And after three days or something, I was like, I should probably get my bandages changed because I couldn't walk. Uh, Yeah, so I was stuck in uh, Bangiwangi, which is this little town. And uh, I went to the local hospital there. They looked at it. They're like, it's infected. Here, take some antibiotics and keep lying down. It should be good another four days. Four days pass. My foot gets black. And then uh, I decided to go back to Bali, like the, the island. So I take the ferry over. I'm still like disabled as hell, so I can't walk properly. Um, and then basically my, my foot starts like smelling bad. It turns really, really black. I send a picture to my parents and my mom's like, yeah, you're, you're going to need to get that amputated if you don't get that dealt with. <laughs> so uh, I ended up going to a hospital. Uh, I think it's a BIMH or whatever in Bali. It's, it's run by Australians. And I ended up having to get surgery and that costs quite a lot of money. Um, but I was basically crippled, like unable to walk for a good three months <laughs> after that. So that's... Yeah, that's basically my story from Bali, and that's what I remember the most about Bali. I thought it was going to be a fun story. It, it was pretty fun. Like, <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, I, the reason I asked because I live in Bali now, as all my listeners already know. Um, okay, so let's talk about your trip to Hong Kong. Um, my understanding from watching your YouTube video, that's where I first got to know you, is that uh, originally you went to Hong Kong with the intention of filming the police brutality. Would that be correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it's just from all the news that I've been seeing. It's like the police are doing some crazy stuff. So I thought it'd be pretty cool to document that. And that's because you also run this uh, YouTube channel, right? Um, what uh, for, for people in my audience who might be interested, what's your YouTube channel? It's, uh, well, if you just search Toby Goo with two U's, T-O-B-Y space G-U-U, you should be able to find me. Like a vlog about stuff you find interesting around the world, or well, actually, most most of my uh, most of the vlogs and videos that I've shot are actually on my Instagram and my Instagram stories. Um, it's just recently I decided to start shooting more in a horizontal format because, uh, like, Instagram is more for vertical; it's more for mobile. Um, but I started shooting more horizontal, like for desktop, and that's why I started putting some stuff on YouTube. I see, I see. But is it uh, like the Hong Kong? protest filming is that something that you normally do or is this just one off well so i I have a tendency i I generally have this tendency where like i come up with a really dumb idea or i just think hey this is this would be a really dumb joke imagine if someone actually did this and then a lot of times when i come up with like a dumb idea like that it's like okay you know what i'm just gonna go do it and the dumb idea in this instance was let's see if i can go to a very let's see if i like just what like, imagine today I'm in, like, the U.S., and then tomorrow I'm in Hong Kong at these protests, and suddenly I'm vlogging it. Like, how insane would that be? So, like, that's kind of, like, the little joke I came up with. Like, that that would be so crazy. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to vlog it. So that's that's how that all happened. Yeah, I saw your video. Um, in the beginning, you were just, like, this happy-go-lucky guy, and you thought this is going to be a crazy, insane idea. Let's do it. Um, but first of all, what was your idea? Can you tell our audience? What, what was the idea? Um, so, I mean, most of the videos I shoot are pretty happy and pretty upbeat, positive, because it's travel, it's fun. And actually, I do a lot of the stuff I do for fun. I don't try to make money off of any of this stuff. Um, but, yeah, the, the idea was, hey, let's let's see, like, if I can blend in and, like, like I'm just a tourist, right? How how insane would you would it be if one day you were like, oh yeah, my tourist experience in Hong Kong was I ended up behind riot police lines and I filmed them beating the shit out of people. Like <laughs> that's like a crazy tourist story, right? So I was like, okay, let's see how much I can actually replicate this idea in real life. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you've got some ideas about, uh, you know, getting a, a, a press pass and, and can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, so actually this this isn't an original idea. Uh, I saw one of my friends on Instagram one day on his story, he's wearing a, a reflective high visibility vest and he's like, tear gas sucks. It hurts your face, it hurts your skin, it hurts your lungs, all these things. And I was like, so I, I sent him a message, I'm like, yo, how do you do that? <laughs> Did you literally just like dress up as a journalist and just end up in Hong Kong recording these protests? He's like, yeah, yeah. I bought it off Amazon. I'm like, cool. I'm going to do that next weekend. <laughs> I'll be there in two days. And then I flew over like literally within two days of him telling me that. So you got a vest, you got a ticket, you flew into Hong Kong. What did you find there? Well, I mean, when I first started, I was, I was very much on the protester side. I was like, let me join all these protester groups on Telegram. Um, a lot of them are reporting where the police are massing, where the police cars are, how many police there are in different areas. Um, so originally I was trying to follow these reports of where the cops are, because usually where there's cops, there's going to be violence. And uh, I didn't get any of that. So the first couple of sites that um, I went to, there were there was no violence. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to stick to the official protest schedule. And there's a there's this one sit-in demonstration at this mall. And so I just showed up there at this sit-in demonstration. And then on the map of where police are being reported, there were no police there. So I was like, okay, well, let's just see what this normal protest is about. And eventually things got a little bit crazy. This guy started getting his butt, like, really, really badly beat up. And this is before any police showed up. Uh, but after he got beat up, I think someone probably called the cops because he couldn't leave the area properly. Like every time he tried to leave, he'd get beat up more. So he was stuck in a corner. Uh, so eventually riot police showed up. Uh, this guy got out of the station, riot police left. And then protesters, I think they wanted to start a fight or something with the cops. So they just started destroying the entire mall, um, just smashing everything in sight uh, that belonged to the mall. They left all the stores alone, though. So they, they didn't do any looting. Um, and then eventually the police were... You know, we heard that the police were massing outside somewhere. So then all these protesters went outside. They set up a roadblock, lit stuff on fire, stopped traffic. Uh, then the riot police started advancing, and then everyone just ran away. <laughs> How did you get the protest schedule? Was it publicized online? Um, yeah, so there, there are public, like, protest schedules uh, online. Um, like, I have quite a lot of friends, actually, in Hong Kong, who right now they don't like me very much. But <laughs> they shared the, the protest schedule with me. I see. And, and, and with the guy that got beat, beaten up, were you there when the altercation first started? Do you know the context? Yeah, I was there. I was there before the. I was there like before the altercation started. Like I heard someone, like what sounded like angry words. So I immediately headed over to that area, and I see this guy like trying to leave, and then he's being surrounded. And people are like heckling him, uh, and then eventually he's like, "Hey!" And then he starts yelling at some guy, and then they start yelling back at him. I'm like, "Ooh, this is gonna get juicy." And then next thing I know, like a giant mob like starts beating the crap out of him. Uh, so what happened after that? I mean, that must be like a very intense. Um, yeah, after that, I was I was a little bit shocked. <laughs> I've never seen anyone get beat up that bad. Um, like I've seen some stuff, but that was by far like the craziest thing I've seen with my own eyes. Uh, I honestly thought he was going to die because like every time he tried to leave, like they beat him up more. So they basically confined him to this corner. And I was like... Yeah, this is a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, after that, I went back to, like, I stopped, like, joking about things after I saw that. I was like, yeah, this, this is pretty serious. So then I, like, I had a pretty objective uh, view on what was actually happening. It was like, okay, now they're destroying this. Now the cops are showing up. Uh, now the cops are firing tear gas. Now the protesters are throwing bricks, etc. 
and I saw, I actually saw, I think it was your friend who stepped in to actually shield that a guy was going to be, um, the guy, was the guy okay eventually? Did he, was he able to leave? Yeah. So it wasn't only my friend, like, so that, that guy that I was with, he, he's, a, he's like, uh, another journalist, but actually most journalists, um, whenever, like after this guy got like super beat up, most journalists like kind of just formed a circle around him and were taking pictures or video of him. And I don't know if this is intentional, but it was a pretty good barrier to prevent the mob from getting to him. Um, like every now and then one or two people would slip through this like little semi-circle of journalists and like hit him a couple times. But I'm pretty sure these journalists were mostly protecting him, preventing him from like actually getting beat to death. Because I'm pretty sure if these guys weren't there, like we weren't there, like they would just kept beating him. Even though he's like on the ground lying and then twitching, like people are still kicking him in the head. Yeah, I saw the video. It was really hard to watch, actually. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's just... So that was the first day? Or- um, so I literally landed the night before. So the night before I landed, I think, at like 5 p.m. Uh, so I basically got settled in, went to sleep, and then the day after I see this, like literally within 15 hours. I can imagine what was, I just imagine what was going through your head. I mean, I tried to stay positive, um, but I think like inherently we're all pretty biased with uh, what we go into a situation thinking. So, I mean, I went into that situation thinking, you know, these guys are fighting for the freedom. Um, what they're doing is good. Uh, so, I mean, I wasn't like too angry at them at the time. It's kind of like, that was very intense. Uh, so, and you'll actually still see like in the language that I use, like I'm standing behind the cops and I literally say, Oh, look, I'm behind enemy lines because <laughs> I still kind of consider the cops as, you know, as the opposing side. Um, but yeah, I mean, like in my head, I was thinking this is so crazy. Two days ago I was in San Francisco, you know, just chilling, being very normal guy. <laughs> and now I'm here behind riot lines and I'm literally on a tourist visa and I'm doing tourist stuff, you know? And after you posted that video on your YouTube channel, it actually generated even more controversy. And, and I see many people actually attacking you for filming. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, it started with a whole lot of dislikes. And I was like, why are people disliking my videos? Like, I thought it was a pretty good video. And then, <laughs> and then I was trying to figure out where all these dislikes are happening. Then angry comments came in, came in like, you're an idiot. Fuck you. Like, all these, like, very angry comments. Um, and then I didn't understand where these comments were coming from either. So I messaged a couple of them. I'm like, Hey, how'd you find about, find out about my video? A lot of them were not very helpful. And then finally one person sent me a link to, uh, a Facebook status that a journalist or a so-called journalist in Hong Kong posted. His name is Richard S or something. And he writes for the Hong Kong free press. And he basically made a very opinionated post saying, we don't need YouTubers coming in and doing all this stuff blah, 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 leave the stuff up to the professionals. And there were like 17,000 comments or something on it at the time. And basically this guy mobilized a big group of people to be angry at me. And then I was trying to read through these comments, understand why people were mad. And uh, like they're mad because A, I portrayed it as an adventure that I could just fly to Hong Kong and then join or film these protests. They were mad because of that. And then secondly, they're mad because I put on a press vest and then I ended up filming beside like real journalists. Um, so yeah. 
yeah. still had the tweet by uh, you know the, a big supporter of Hong Kong protests. She's a journalist um, herself, and she that was her advice to people. She literally said, "Don't worry about press pass. Just get yourself a yellow jacket, print yourself a press pass, and, and you're okay. You're good." And, and another comment about Hong Kong Free Press. This is a, a supposedly a crowdfunded news organization run by uh, Tom Grundy, and this, this news organization is one of the biggest supporters of the Hong Kong protest. And I actually saw its chief editor, Tom Grundy, uh, tweeted something about you. Have you seen that tweet? Yeah, this guy, he basically asked for his audience of 127,000 followers to, to dox me. I remember when I saw that tweet, I was like, wow, this guy is like takes issue with me being a journalist. Like, what kind of journalist is this guy? He's got zero journalistic integrity. <laughs> This guy, he, he lives in Hong Kong, and I have seen his street interviews posted on Twitter. He doesn't even speak Cantonese. Uh, he needed an interpreter. And he, um, he it's more than I, I had to tweet myself. He actually said, uh, if anybody sees this guy, told me, uh, make sure to confront him. I mean, that's pretty bad. We are already getting threats online. We're getting threats online, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, can you talk about some of the stuff uh, people were writing to you? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of, like, abuse, like, F you, F your mother, F your father, F your family. Um, the most ominous one I got was like, I opened, I opened the message and it was like, we have a dagger prepared for your throat. The hunting begins now. We will find you. That was like, that was like, wow. Okay. That was unexpected. Um, and then there were a lot of like, oh, we will find you. We will beat you up. There, there are quite a few of those. Um, there was a couple of was like, oh, you can't hide from us. We'll find out exactly where you live. But the funny thing is, because I'm a digital nomad, I don't actually live anywhere, so good luck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good for you. Um, actually, yeah, a lot of people can get really crazy online. I mean, I, I understand that because I have, get, I have been getting similar type of threat myself. Uh, back in March, uh, this one time I got another message on my DM through, um, on Twitter from all the burner accounts, I'm sure. Uh, they literally posted the picture on my address. It says, oh, do you know where, where yeah, I mean, I, I later, later find out that picture was just um, something from a real estate page of my address, but that was the picture of my address. But it was still, the good thing was, I, at the time, I was also just leaving US, coming to Bali, so whatever, you know, I didn't, I didn't wow. the, the, the pro-protest side feels that they're on the right path, that anything is justified, anything is justified for their cause, so it means. Yep, for sure. Like, they, they're justifying, they're justifying beating the crap out of this one guy, so. They justify violence, they justify everything, as long as uh, they feel it's, it's a righteous cause. And, and for me, that's, that's just mob violence. I mean, how is that like democracy? You know, like, um, like supposedly they're fighting for democracy and freedom, but they don't really allow different opinions. And, and it's really, they just attack in mass, whoever you know, challenged their, their version of the story. I mean, I, so was there any follow-up? Like, what, what, what happened after that, after your first encounter um, filming the protest? Have you been to the other protest sites after the first day? No. So, I mean, these protests generally only happen on the weekends, and that one that I caught happened to be on a Sunday. Um, during the weekdays, like, everyone goes back to work, and it's almost like nothing is actually happening anymore. Um, but basically, like, after that first site at the mall where the mall got completely destroyed and the guy got completely beat up, um, we tried to head to another site to see what's going on. So basically looked on the map, tried to follow the police. Uh, we ended up in this one spot where... There were like a bunch of riot police, but they were just marching and patrolling. Um, but there's nothing like really bad happening. So we asked like some of the protesters, hey, where's the next spot going to be? And they said it was going to be Mong Kok or Prince Edward Station, uh, MRT or MTR. So we headed over there and then it was pretty dead over there. Like uh, we know a lot of the protesters, what they do is they change out of their protest clothes and into normal clothes. And because they destroyed the subway at the first spot, they had no way to actually leave that spot. So they ended up having to take the bus. 
And then um, when I was sitting in the taxi, because we were taking a taxi, we weren't taking the bus, we noticed on the highway there are like massive roadblocks set up and the cops basically just stopped all these buses, pulled everyone off, searched their bags. And if they had like protest equipment, like they were arrested. So we went, when we got to Prince Edward Station, uh, it was pretty quiet. Like I was like, wow, these police, I guess they did a pretty good job by just pulling people off these buses because it was pretty quiet. It was around 930 um, and then it started getting heated. Then other protesters started arriving. And uh, it's pretty easy to tell who's like a violent uh, protester versus a normal one. The violent ones, usually they have weapons or like sticks or something sharp on them. Like they're ready for a fight. <laughs> so as soon as these guys showed up, I was like, okay, this is going to start getting crazy. So I got onto a high vantage point and started filming as they started barricading like the main street in Hong Kong and then burning, burning stuff on the street. Most of violent protesters, are they dressed differently from the regular protesters too? They're not necessarily different. Like, they're just more covered up. So everyone is pretty much covered up with, like, black. But these guys are, like, more heavily covered up. Like, some of the normal ones, they just have, like, a black surgical mask or whatever, like the face mask. The black ones have, like, or the radical ones, they have, like, full baklavas. They have, like, ski masks. Um, <laughs> they, like, sometimes cover up their hair too. Sometimes they're wearing, like, sunglasses even though it's like nighttime outside. Uh, I didn't actually see any protesters with gas masks, um, but also the police didn't really fire any tear gas that day. Like they probably fired only two rounds at the mall, like outside of the mall. But uh, it seems like all the news coverage of how these protests go down um, is a little bit off or the police and the protesters have changed their tactics. Um, at least from last weekend, uh, how it looked like is whenever the cops showed up, like everyone just ran away. <laughs> It was like they spend so much effort. They spend so much effort trying to get the police to come, and then as soon as the police get there, they just all like scatter. Uh, what was the date? Uh, I was there on September twenty second, so that was last Sunday. Oh wow! Are you still in Hong Kong now? Me? No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> any plans to go back anytime soon? Uh, as of now, no. Um, probably when things cool down a little bit and people stop trying to kill me. Yeah, that probably makes sense. Well, uh, I think they're too radical, and I think they've gone too far. Um, originally, again, I was pretty supportive of them, but now I don't support them because I've never been, like, super anti-Hong Kong government or whatever. I've just been, like, kind of, like, a little bit supportive of protesters, but they've basically completely alienated me. And at this point, I don't actually care what happens to Hong Kong. Like, none of this really concerns me anymore. Sorry, that's I'm Hey, hey, I'm gonna cut this part out. Uh, my dogs just went crazy. Um, uh, so yeah, at this point, it seems like some Hong Kong protesters. Come on, little Matthew, let's cooperate a little bit. My dogs. So this is thank you again for uh, your experience in Hong Kong. That's um, I highly recommend everybody to check out the videos you posted. It definitely shed light on part of the protest that's rarely shown on mainstream media. And um, again, for people to find you, um, where where can they find you? Uh, sure. So I'm mostly active on Instagram. Uh, my IG is G U U Toby. So goo Toby. Um, so most of my content goes there, but I'm probably going to start posting more stuff on YouTube and just Toby G U U T O B Y G U U. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Um, and we will keep, um, and we'll keep our audience posted about latest update in Hong Kong. And, uh, where are you headed next, Toby? Uh, well, I mean, right now I don't want people to find me because people are trying to find me. So, Somewhere. <laughs> right.
<laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. I understand. But you you are still traveling around the world, yes? Uh, well, I'm going to lay low for the time being. Um, just chill out for a bit, get some work done. But yes, I will be going somewhere eventually. Okay, we will uh, we, we will watch your updates from your social media presence, uh, and your, maybe like one day I will just interview you for your travel experience because that sounds fascinating to me. And I, we can pop, yeah, and I, I love to talk about travel. We could do a whole episode by just about that. But thank you again for coming to the show and, and share with us your experience. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Bye. For five dollars a month, you will receive premium patron only episodes like this that details culture, politics, history of China its surrounding region, and China's relationship with the world. You will also receive pre-released regular episodes before they have been released to the general public, as well as newsletters detailing everything China-related topics. To subscribe, search in Google the Silk and Steel podcast. The Patreon link should be the second one from the top. Or you can go to patreon.com in the search box, type in Silk. The Silk and Steel podcast should be the first one in the result. I put in a lot of time and effort to put together this podcast, and I do ask you for your support. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you subscribe. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.